WGAF, Kansas City. Now, 61 Country's exclusive presentation of Paul Harvey. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. In 1976, a radio broadcaster named Paul Harvey premiered a show called The Rest of the Story. Running on ABC Radio and delivered along with a larger mix of daily news reports, these five-minute segments were written and produced by Paul Harvey's son, Paul Jr. The show unearthed stories about America's history and popular culture, often compelling and exciting ones that were previously inaccessible or simply had been forgotten, especially in a pre-internet world. Harvey would entice audiences with a one-line tease. You know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. Something that kept the listener on the hook through the following 30-second commercial. And then, upon returning, he would introduce his tale with the popular introductory tagline. Now, the rest of the story. His voice was a rapid fire of command and intensity, deftly weaving the opening salvo that drew the listener closer. Harvey often dropped the audience into the middle of the action, setting up just enough points of information to catch you up with what he'd discuss, but leaving enough out to keep the story intriguing. It is 1942. 1942. Bing Crosby just signed to do a new movie, a musical, and the composer had called a meeting on the set before filming was to start. This one composer always does this. He wants to demonstrate to director, cast, and crew how he feels that his songs should be performed. He even has a special piano, one with a special lever on it that slides the action back and forth, automatically changing keys without the player having to. It's a dilapidated little instrument, and the composer himself has a voice which carries nowhere. You almost have to hug him to hear him. But there he is, singing the score for the entire movie company. Harvey's inflection punctuated words along the story's path. And he delivered phrases like a poet, capturing moments your imagination could immediately envision and feel. His painting of the picture in a short but detailed manner built up a tension to which only he, as your trusted narrator, could resolve. Well, Bing Crosby, the gentleman, listens patiently. But it's more than politeness. Bing can sing, but he can't read music. Did you know that? Bing Crosby could never read music. So he had to memorize everything. Well, one tune follows another, Crosby's sponge brain absorbing it all. Between songs, the composer hesitates and smiles. He says, I have an amusing little number here. And then the composer proceeds to sing it in his own high-pitched half-whisper. Some of the cast members wince. They can feel it coming. And they glance over at Bing, and sure enough, he is starting to scowl. You are now fully invested in Harvey's account. You want to pocket this fragment of history. You want to know why Bing Crosby is not happy. Why those around him anticipated this reaction. And you want to know which likely significant song, one that is worth recalling years or decades later, sparked this response. Crosby, a staunch Catholic, is widely known as such. Anything even vaguely smacking of sacrilege does not fit well with him. The composer finishes the tune. What does everybody think, he asks. 
and Crosby is ice cold. An amusing little number, eh? But what's so funny? There are moments of painful silence, and then the composer continued to review his score, and afterward in private to producer Mark Sandrich, Bing Crosby announced that he would not sing that song. Sandrich knows well which song Bing means, and he apologizes if Crosby has been offended. But there's a big problem here, because a primary stipulation in the composer's contract is that nothing musical may be altered unless the composer himself does the altering. In other words, the song to which Bing objects must be sung. Again, more tension. A monologue that begs for resolution. And yet what hovers in front of you is a mystery that needs to be solved. You can't shut the radio off now. You can't risk walking away and never knowing what happens. Well, I'm going to telescope what happened next. There was a lengthy argument, but finally Crosby reluctantly agreed to sing it. Now it's later. They're shooting the picture. It's time to do the controversial number. The composer, knowing that Bing is performing it under protest, is waiting impatiently on the set. Walter Scharf, one of the musical directors, hoping to avoid trouble, tried to trick the composer into leaving the place. The composer plays along, but then returns secretly and hides behind some scenery. If they're going to tinker with his music, he's going to find out about it. And now... The moment of truth. We've reached the top of the stairs, and the answer lies behind a final curtain of sentences. Who is the composer Harvey mentions? What is the antagonistic song that sparked Crosby's disgust? And will Crosby give in to his obligations and sing it? But what do you know? Bing sings it straight. And the movie is released, and more remarkable still, the amusing little tune catches on. It caught on because it's wartime, and American soldiers far from home considered it a sentimental anthem, one perfectly expressing their own longing. And when composer Irving Berlin wrote it, and subsequently when crooner Bing Crosby sang it in the movie Holiday Inn, neither man had imagined the ultimate impact that Bing's own recording would sell more than 30 million copies, that the tune itself would become second only to Silent Night, the most worldwide popular of all Christmas songs. The song the composer underestimated, the song Bing Crosby thought less than sacred enough for the Christ Mass season, the song that was almost stillborn was White Christmas. And now you know the rest of the story. In 2018, toy company Hasbro introduced HasLab, a platform that would offer previously unavailable Star Wars toys through crowdfunded campaigns. In the last episode, we explored how HasLab came to be and its first successful campaign, the massive four-foot-long Jabba's sail barge toy. But making it and backing it were only part of the story. After all, if the sail barge was a true answer to the fans' wishes, we'd surely want to hear what the fans thought about it once they had received it. This is what the barge meant to some of our fellow collectors, in their own words. This is a continuation of the series, The History of HasLab. This is, in the words of the great Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production.
Coruscant to Tatooine, and every planet in between. Star Wars, prototypes and production, with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, Hi, I'm Steve Evans, design director for Star Wars here at Hasbro. And I'm Mark Boudreau, principal designer. I'm here to announce a really, really exciting new initiative that we're calling HasLab. HasLab is Hasbro's new platform that we hope will bring dream products to life for fans. Allow us to share with you a sneak peek of our first ever HasLab project. Fans have been asking for us to bring Jabba's sail barge from Return of the Jedi to life. And we haven't been able to do it. That is, until now. A quick recap. In February of 2018, Hasbro introduced the HasLab platform at New York Toy Fair. The same day, it announced the first HasLab project, Jabba's Sail Barge. The barge, also known as the Katana, would be for the vintage collection, Hasbro's premier 3-3-quarter inch Star Wars figure line. Fans have longed for a toy version of the Katana for decades. And if a minimum of 5,000 pre-orders were purchased during the 45-day campaign heading into the spring of 2018, the barge would sail into collectors' homes the following year. The campaign was a success, and in the end, 8,800 barges were ordered. And in March of 2019, Star Wars fans finally received this amazing dream piece. My mother and I were talking recently, and she mentioned she had listened to the previous episode about the Sail Barge campaign, and that she had really enjoyed it. But she felt something very important was missing. As someone who isn't a part of the Star Wars community, she wanted to know what people who backed the barge thought of it when it finally arrived. She wondered if they were happy with it, and whether it met their expectations. As she said to me, She wanted to know the rest of the story. She was right. As a collector, my curiosity was piqued. I wanted to know the rest of the story as well. So I reached out to collectors on a number of the Star Wars fan pages and collecting groups on social media. I presented a number of questions about the barge and the HasLab campaign and asked anyone interested to share their thoughts and their experiences with them. In the same way that the Vintage Collection became Hasbro's bridge between the Vintage Kenner offerings and the Star Wars figures of today, the Sail Barge appealed to both vintage and modern collectors. It was an item that children and collectors who grew up with the original trilogy wanted. And as a large-scale modern playset, there was simply nothing that compared to it. Let me introduce you to some of the collectors who will be joining us today. I first met Mike DiStefano at the New York International Collectors event a number of years ago. He's a member of the Pennsylvania Star Wars Collecting Society, and he recently completed another momentous Run Disney event, held at the Disney Parks in Orlando. Mike takes a thoughtful approach to collecting vintage and modern Star Wars items, and puts just as much time into building meaningful friendships with other collectors. I ran into Chad Plouffe at last summer's Toys for the Ages Expo in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. 
He and I became fast friends, and his love for toys and Star Wars is a beautiful thing. Chad showed me pics of his collection room, and his sail barge setup is one of the nicest I've ever seen. Thomas Dickinson is a Canadian collector, known in the Rebel Scum days as Twilly. We met a few years ago during a prototype conversation, and he is as passionate about the hobby as anyone I've met previously. Whether we're chatting about our collecting groups, or some of the head-scratching sales of vintage Star Wars toys, Thomas's kindness and humor are always evident. David Kevin White may be his birth name, but to collectors, he is better known as Jimmy Tupac. I nicknamed him Sir James of the Tupac at a collector's event one night, and will likely forever call him Sir James. He earned the name Jimmy Tupac years and years ago, as he had amassed one of the greatest collections of the carded vintage figure Tupacs that were sold at KB Toys toward the end of Kenner's toy run. David is a dear friend, and I encourage you to get to know him at some point in the very near future. Jason Wasuko is one of the prominent figures in the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors, and is one half of the duo that hosts the collecting podcast Smuggler's Galaxy. Jason's imagination and creativity is as large as his heart for others, and he and the Georgia group have made the collecting community fun and connective. Sean Lemkel is a Cincinnati-based collector who loves his town and the Star Wars history for which it is known. Growing up in the birthplace of the Kenner Toys, Sean and his brother have built up an incredible collection of vintage prototypes and production pieces. Sean is another creative and joyful friend, and I look forward to see which Star Wars treasure he'll dig up next. And finally, I met David Statey back in October, during the Cincinnati Toy Show weekend. We both arrived at a friend's house at the same time, and he brought his partner in crime with him, his wonderful daughter, Summer. David is a vintage collector who focuses on R2-D2 and my personal favorite, Luke Skywalker. I wanted to kick off the collector's commentaries with a special one. Keith, from the 40,000-member Facebook group Star Wars Fan Caves, shared his personal story about what the sail barge meant to him and how getting one had been a decades-long journey. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody listening. This is Keith from Star Wars Fan Caves and the We Back the Barge group on Facebook. My Facebook friends know me as Kiwi. Today, David's talking about the barge and what it means to collectors. For me, it was something special. It was something that I've wanted since seeing Return of the Jedi on opening day in 1983. Star Wars was always big in my family, so my parents gave us all the day off of school on opening day. They brought us, we saw the 10.30 a.m. show. And like most kids back then, as I watched the movie, I'm watching, seeing all the new ships and figures and toys. And everything that I saw, I was like, they should make that, they should make that, I hope they make that. And, of course, the barge. But even as a kid, you realize it's kind of unrealistic. It's a huge ship. So how are they going to do it? It's not really possible. So while I wanted it, I knew it wasn't really realistic. 
then fast forward a couple of years 1985 power of the force stuff is coming out um gi joe was popular at the time and they came out with the uss flag that was tremendous it was huge it was like seven feet long or eight feet whatever it was it was giant so now i see that and i think wow kenner can make a barge so i cross my fingers and i really hope that kenner is going to do this i have hope now all of a sudden it's after christmas 1985 going into january and i'm going into toys r us and what do i see stacks of the power of the force skiff and they were already knocking them down in price putting them on clearance again even as a kid you realize if they're putting stuff on clearance it's kind of spells the end for the line so i began to lose hope and i was right it was pretty much over and done with no more star wars toys or so i thought no movies coming out it's over I never stopped collecting. I kept collecting throughout my entire life in high school and in college and after I was married and had my own kids. And still, I always wanted a barge. And then the vintage collection came along. And once again, oh, I hope they make a barge. That would be awesome. Now, it's a big thing. And again, a lot of the big ships that Kenner was making or Hasbro now, they would be out for a little while people would snatch up a couple and then they'd go to clearance half price 75 percent off uh, whether it be adats or millennium falcons so i'm like they're never gonna do it because a couple will be sold in the store and then they'll hit clearance and they'll take a hit so they're not gonna make it then hasbro came up with haslab it's four collectors it's four things like the barge something huge that can't go to retail because it's too big it you know it won't sell at retail and then it'll hit clearance and be gone so they do this has lab i see the barge i was super excited i thought it was really happening i'm watching the numbers go um even making up flyers that look like Hasbro things and I'm bringing them to the toy stores, whether it's Target or Walmart, and I'm putting them up in the aisle, you know, back the barge, go to, and I put the website and everything and the price and pictures of it. I was pushing for it and it didn't look like it was going to happen still. This was their first project, so we didn't know, you know, the waves and how it goes. But anyway, the first month, they only sold a couple of thousand and then with 10 days left they they were at under 3500 and they needed 5000 minimum so like i said i'm putting up flyers i start a facebook group i'm trying to get the word out there so everybody knows and there were surprisingly a lot of people that didn't know about it and the numbers started going up and then luckily the last couple of days it hits the 5000 mark it's going into production i'm thrilled everybody's thrilled my son was excited and it was a year wait for the barge and i mine arrived march 3rd 2019 oh, i actually bought 5 of them not because i was looking for an investment or anything like that i bought one originally 
then I bought a second one and then when the numbers weren't going up and I wanted to push it to get to 5,000 I bought three more so I bought five in total um, and when they came it was awesome the yak face figure is great yak face was one of my favorites when I was younger he was like an urban legend so to have this new one with the coin on Power of the Force card in the vintage collection line was very cool I loved it that's how I felt about the barge it's something that I wanted since 1983 the only thing that I probably would have changed or would have liked to have seen them add is maybe a, a removable head for Jabba where you could put a different head on Jabba where for the Princess Leia choking him you know his tongue sticking out type deal and then I would have loved to have seen a Sarlacc pit included. So I'm hoping that they make a new Sarlacc pit to go with it, but it's been a couple of years now and nothing so far, so we'll see. So I'm not really disappointed with anything with it. I would have liked to see those things added. It's definitely you know, a must-have for any collector, whether you're vintage, vintage collection modern anything it's just a great ship it's four feet long it's it's fantastic it's well made um so that's that's my story with the barge and i love it i have it out displayed i put lights in it i have figures set up on it it's basically a centerpiece of a star wars collection I've asked our friends and fellow collectors to share their thoughts about the barge by answering some or all of the questions I had posed to them. To help you keep track of who is speaking, each collector will say his name at the beginning of each answer. The first question seemed like a pretty important one. Why did you back the barge? This is David White, also known as Jimmy Tupac. I've always wanted a sail barge since I saw it in Return of the Jedi in 1983, and I always wished that Kenner had produced one. So I was thrilled when Hasbro finally offered this. Hi, this is Mike DiStefano from Pennsylvania. I wanted to share some of my perspective on why I backed the sail barge. Uh, initially, I backed the barge because it was an exciting new concept, uh, something that was going to deliver us a playset on a scale that we haven't seen since the vintage Death Star that Kenner put out uh, way back in the 70s when they had the license. That was my favorite playset growing up, and to see something on this scale that wasn't compartmentalized and was all-in-one was something that I was pretty excited about. Hi, my name's Chad Plouffe. Um, um I actually didn't back the barge at first, um, I wasn't actually sure if it was going to go through. Um, I should have because it would have saved me a lot of money. Hi, I'm Thomas Dickinson. Uh, I'm also known by my Rebel Scum handle of Twilly. Uh, and I'm going to answer some 
questions about the barge. I backed the barge because as soon as I heard about it, the rational part of my brain completely switched off. And I just had this, like, montage flashback go through my head of all the times I had been playing with my Star Wars toys as a kid. And, you know, using, like, a shoebox as Jabba's sail barge or something. Or, uh, you know, an ottoman or something like that. And just remembering how much I wished there would have been an actual sail barge toy. And seeing this just, like, activated some kind of impulse control switch off in my brain, and I just had to have it. Hey, David, this is Jason Wasolka with the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors. I just wanted to chime in on some of these questions you posed to us. Your first question, why did you back the barge? I backed the barge because it was an exciting project at the time. I missed out on getting the Legacy Falcon, so I didn't have any big vehicles i didn't have the kenner death star play set and the fact that it was a vehicle and the idea that it was a play set um there was a lot of detail that they included in some of those diagrams before they in some of the videos before they actually started the campaign that i really wanted to back one and get one and uh yeah and that's one of the reasons why i did that Hi, this is Sean Lemkul, and uh, the reason that I backed the barge is, unlike a lot of people that actually wanted to purchase it as part of their collection, I wanted to give my kids, my two boys, the opportunity to have a toy that absolutely blew their mind. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, and I actually don't recall any of my friends having any of the G.I. Joe USS flags, um, but I figured like this would be that type of toy for the generation of children that my kids are. And uh, that's really why I decided to back the barge. For the second question, I wondered, what was the most exciting aspect of the HasLab campaign? David, I loved how the HasLab folks kept us up to date and uh, sent the booklet early. Mike DiStefano here. What I found most exciting about the HasLab campaign was seeing the conversations online about people uh, debating the merits of backing it, not backing it, tracking along and seeing was it going to meet the minimum threshold, what kind of kickers were going to be unlocked as it was reaching certain thresholds. Um, overall, you know, it was easy for me to back from the beginning. But I really enjoyed others' perspectives and finding out that people really enjoyed and were looking forward to having a playset on this scale available, whether it be for dioramas, actual playability, or finding a way to uh, display their figures that maybe we haven't had at our option before. Chad, I actually didn't think it was all that exciting. Um, I think if they would have done it or at least use the wording um, as a pre-order instead of a Kickstarter. Um, it might have uh, um, have appealed to uh, a little more people. So, Twilly, I think the most exciting aspect of the HasLab campaign was when they actually made the sail barge. Not when it was funded, but when they actually announced that they were going to make a sail barge. Pushing aside all of the controversy about 
the crowdfunded nature of it and all of all of that stuff just the possibility of owning a barge that was the most exciting aspect hey this is jason i think one of the most exciting aspects of the campaign itself was the grassroots effort that the community did to help promote this for hasbro and it really wasn't something hasbro went out and said hey can you tell your friends to back this this project it was really the passion of the fans that made it come true to uh, reality they were making patches and plaques and t-shirts and all this kind of stuff to say i back the barge we back the barge back the barge in general um all this stuff to try to get the word out and to be part of that to uh fund this new project that's never been funded before um in a new style to say hey do you want this Yes, I do. We'll back it and and we'll make it for you. And so the whole the whole project was pretty exciting. But I, I I think the community coming together to help promote it on behalf of Hasbro is is pretty uh, special and, and exciting. Question number two: What is the most exciting aspect of the Haslab campaign? Uh, I would say for me, the most exciting aspect of it was to see the development and kind of the effort and really marketing that was put behind it uh, in order to get more people uh, excited about ordering it, whether it be the different, uh, the tier benefits where more people backed it and there was additional value ads that were added to the campaign, or just seeing the numbers climb daily, it was, it was kind of fun. Question number three. What were your initial thoughts when the barge finally arrived? David, when the barge finally arrived, it was an exciting day. I remember it vividly. Both my son and I were home, and the FedEx pulled, truck pulled up, and the guy could barely get the box out of the truck and carry it, and he had a really uh, strained and bewildered look on his face. It was awesome. This is Mike DiStefano. My initial thought when the barge finally arrived was I actually did not expect it to be quite as large as it was, even though... You know, the scale of it was shown, um, and they had the book out that showed uh, some of the process. The, the sheer size of the delivery person dropping off that box when it arrived was uh, a little bit breathtaking. Chad, when I actually got the barge, um, I got it from a friend, and I had seen it at a toy show not too long before that. And I was just impressed with the box and the size of it. Um, but I really hadn't seen one out of the package up close at that point. Twilly here. My initial thoughts were, I can't believe I have to go pick this thing up from FedEx. You know, I knew what the dimensions were. I measured the inside of my car. I thought I would be okay. I drove the, like, 45 minutes to the FedEx pickup center in rush hour traffic. I got them to bring this box out, and I remember just thinking to myself, holy cow, what have I done? Hey, this is Jason. One of the initial thoughts I had when the barge arrived was how incredible the piece was. It was so detailed, had so much tooling, so much painting, um, so I guess they call it deco, but it was just so cool. And, and it's cool to, to see the detail in the barge and then go watch Return of the Jedi and see details inside the barge that I had never even noticed before. 
And so I'm sure the team at Hasbro watched that over and over again. They looked at blueprints and scans and all that to include as much of that as possible to make it authentic. And it's just really, really cool. And um, I was so impressed when I got it. It was just, a, I think it was a magical moment. I felt like I was a kid again, putting this piece together uh, and then having it on display. Those red sails just really draw the eye to it. And um, yeah, I was just impressed. I think that's the best way to describe my first initial impression of it. Number three, uh, my additional thoughts when the barbs first arrived was how ridiculously large the box was. Uh, I remember the delivery driver actually pulled up, it was pouring down rain, and he was struggling to get this enormous box out of it. Um, immediately had my kids sit on it to take a photo with them because I thought it was funny that it was actually larger than they, than they are, or they were at the time, rather. And uh, I remember pulling it out. My dad and my brother were actually over, and uh, we all started to build it together, which was which was pretty fun. Uh, funny enough, clumsy me, I remember uh, trying to get the uh, piece that covers the cockpit. Uh, I tried to pop it out, and I pushed really hard, and it snapped, and it hit me in the nose and made me bleed. So that was my, my first introduct- introduction to the uh, sail barge was actually shedding some blood over it. Uh, but luckily, no tears. For question number four, I wanted to know, what is your favorite feature of the barge? David, I love the details on the barge. I especially love all of the windows and trap doors and sliding mechanisms that open. I love the little details and features. It's got a great playability. My son agrees. Mike DiStefano here. What is my favorite feature on the barge? It's the scale, the epic scale that fits with the three and three quarter line figures, whether they're vintage or modern. Um, That is by far my favorite feature in the barge, uh, along with the different compartments where you can reenact certain scenes that you want to from Return of the Jedi. All of that together in this epic sized barge was spectacular. Chad. My favorite feature of the barge, probably just this, the sheer size of it, um, being able to do something with such great detail, it just has so many different features and um, detail on the barge is just absolutely unbelievable. It really goes to show what we can do now. So Twilly here. Uh I think my favorite feature of the barge, um, as someone who has left it in the packaging, is that aside from having to open the shipper box, once you get it to the actual, you know, commercial packaging of the the katana, uh, you can open it and you're not breaking any seals. Um, it's just got some tabs keeping it shut, um, and you know, if you're careful, it just opens. You can check everything out, you can see it, and you can close it right back up again. Hey, this is Jason. One of my favorite details of the barge are the areas of the ship that you don't see in Return of the Jedi. And when you look at it, you're probably like, yeah, that that's that that feels true. There's the kitchen, there's the brig where they have a, a Ithorian who's um, kind of melted away to bones. He's just been locked up for so long. And then there's the front cabin where the cockpit is. And I think those are the part of my favorite things because it's just, you know, it seems like Hasbro just let their imagination run wild. And 
and they had to fill out those spaces and you could just see them thinking through it. Well, Jabba loves to eat, so we got to have a kitchen and Jabba is a gangster and he's got to have a place to throw people when he's not happy with them. And obviously you need to pilot the ship. And I think that's one of the cool features is, is it's just like it's outside of the frame in Return of the Jedi. We never see it. But when you look at the sail barge, you're like, oh yeah, that's there. It's definitely there. So I think that's that's one of my favorite aspects of the barge. Number four, I would say that my favorite feature of the barge is really what my kids enjoy the most about it, and that is the uh, little trap door uh, that leads to the dungeon. That's uh, kind of fun for them. They can, uh, you know, play with that part and and you know have. Actually, it's funny enough. They uh, when they first started using that, they would fill it up with as many figures as they could. And uh, I give my kids original vintage figures to play with. You know, more beaters and ones that have paint wear. Uh, but it, they fit perfectly in there, and they really enjoy that aspect of it probably the most, which is also my favorite part. Question number five: What is your favorite detail, David? <laughs> I think I just answered that one. Chad, um, as far as that goes, there's a lot of like small things that you don't really notice, you know, until you see it up close. Like the the sails are individually strung, um, the dead hammerhead in the jail, you know, maybe the computer consoles, a lot of different things. So Twilly here, um, I am primarily a vintage, not like a TVC collector, but an actual like 1977 to 85 vintage collector. Um, and like most of the vintage collection, the TVC stuff, um, I really appreciate that they make it look like the original line of Star Wars stuff. And, you know, when I saw the packaging... Um, I was really excited to be able to display this amongst my 77 to 85 vintage Star Wars stuff because it would fit right in. And, you know, it goes back to that, that thing about every time I think about having this sail barge, there's something that switches off in my brain. The rational center of my brain switches off and it just becomes this kind of nostalgia thing for me where... It's just something I always wished I had. Hey, this is Jason. One of my favorite details on the sail barge um, is the sand sculpture of Jabba the Hutt with some ladies surrounding him. It's something that I had never noticed before in the movie until the sail barge arrived. And now I see it every single time. And I think that kind of represents why I love the sail barge itself. It makes the movies just more richer. And so when you have a detail like that, and that's one of the first things that I noticed when I got the sail barge. When you have a detail like that and it's in the movie, but you missed it despite having watched it a thousand times, it just changes the experience and it just makes everything, like I said, richer. So I really like that detail because of what it represents. It just enhanced the movies for me. Number five, what is your favorite detail on it or the packaging? Uh, I think my favorite detail is actually the the skull and uh, crossbow or the skull and bones, the, the skeleton. Uh, that sits in the dungeon area. I also think the cockpit's pretty amazing. I liked how they 
they chose to use uh, rubberized pieces instead of plastic, uh, which actually makes it a little bit better for the children to play with and a less chance of breaking. Unfortunately, my kids have already broken off a couple pieces. They, they, they play with it fairly respectfully, but when the friends come over, uh, they can be more rough with it. And uh, since I did purchase this for them to play with, I, I really don't put too many restrictions on when or where they can't play with it. And uh, I can tell you they've really enjoyed it and that I've got my money's worth for it just from an entertainment perspective of, of them being able to enjoy it. Uh, but I think my, my favorite detail is, is just the probably the paint apps, uh, the cockpit area, and the uh, skeleton. For the sixth question, I asked, if you could have been part of the HasLab team that created Jabba Sail Barge, what is something you would have added or done differently on the barge? David, the only suggestion I would have is it would have been a little bit nicer to raise the sail posts about two inches so that uh, you can see the figures on the deck better and uh, move them around. Many people have made their own extensions, and I plan on doing the same. This is Mike DiStefano. If I could have been part of the HasLab team that created the sail barge, what is something that I would have added or done differently? I would go with in terms of adding, there's two things that come to mind. The first would have been to make some more figures available to those that back the barge. Ultimately, they could have been re-released or into the public. But maybe more importantly, the thing that resonates to me is it would have been really awesome to have some type of Sarlacc pit add-on to go with the the. Jabba sail barge and the skiffs that we were able to purchase at retail. So those are the things that I would have done and added differently because it would have made this even more of an epic scale playset. Chad, I don't really know if I would have done anything differently. Um, like I think they did a really good job. Um, I mean, you can see basically everything that they had done with the barge in the book. Um, and it really goes into a lot of details. Twilly here. Oh man. I don't know. I think they did such a good job. Um, the detail is crazy. I mean, you know, this is coming from, this is coming from someone again, who was a 77 to 85 vintage collector who bought this just to fit in with his vintage stuff. Um, I was just blown away by the detail, the scale, everything they crammed in here. I thought it was fantastic. I wouldn't have changed anything. I would have done it exactly the way they did it. Yeah, I think it's perfect. Hey, this is Jason Wasolko. And if I had been part of the HasLab team that created the sail barge, what would I change or what would I have done differently? Nada. And I'm sorry, that's not an uh, interesting answer for a podcast, but I would do absolutely nothing. I love it. It's perfect. It captures everything that the toy needs to capture. I know it's not completely to scale, but it's still pretty impressive. And the amount of detail and the figures that they made available afterwards, I just, no, there's nothing that they could have done differently. It's just, it's perfect. It's perfect in my estimation. Number six, if you could have been part of the HasLab team that created the Java Sail Barge, what is something you would have added or done differently in the barge? Hmm. I think that I would have used more rubberized parts. Uh, I also would have taken on more of a mindset of kind of like the the AT-AT, the original AT-AT, where pieces can 
pop off and not break. Uh, there's some latches and other things that were made fairly fragile. And uh, if children actually play with this toy, regardless of of how careful they are, there are going to be pieces that break on it. Um, I also think, and this is a huge ask of HasLab, if a piece does get broken, there's absolutely no way to order it or get any sort of replacement. I've tried to reach out to them on social media for a couple pieces that I need. I have absolutely no idea how to get them. Um, so being able to order pieces that break or snap off or uh, take wear over time would be extremely, extremely um, grateful to have that opportunity to do that. Um, but in terms of different hitting tiers and giving other rewards, I felt like the stuff that they did was adequate for this one. Uh, I like the yak face a lot, and um, I really don't have any other suggestions. For question number seven, I wanted to know, is there any aspect of the barge that disappointed you? Chad, um, there is actually one thing that did disappoint me. I didn't like the fact that the deck gun was not able to spin completely around because of where they had the post for the sail. Um, I was kind of disappointed in that. I would have thought that you know maybe they would have moved it or done something a little differently with that but that was it totally here so yeah um i funnily enough would say that the aspect of the barge that disappointed me was that even though i knew the measurements even though i measured it all out it's still too big to fit in my collection room and uh it's disappointing, um, but I guess it's really only my own fault. Uh, it's my barge is currently living in uh, the entertainment space in my basement. Uh, it has a tarp over the shipper box, um, and my wife thinks it is a coffee table. Um, she knows I have a barge. It's not like I've hidden the fact that I have a barge. I just don't think that she knows that that is the barge and that that, <laughs> that giant box with the tarp over it is actually a Star Wars toy. Um, yeah, so it's just it's just so massive. Hey, this is Jason Wasolko. Is there any aspect of the barge that disappoints me? I think the only thing that really disappoints me is that the Sarlacc itself was never made available with the barge or afterwards because I know Hasbro was creating the, the skiffs and some of the, the the characters to go along with the, the sail barge itself, and they never made the Sarlacc available. And um, growing up, I never played the floor with lava. I played the floor with Sarlacc, so I just thought it would be cool to have that underneath the sail barge and... Um, maybe someday they might make it, but that's one thing that's always disappointed me is that you just don't have the tentacles kind of rising up in front of the cell barge when it's on display. Number seven, is there any aspect of the barge that disappointed you? Uh, I don't think that there was necessarily anything that disappointed me. I think that um, maybe a, a really cool add-on would have been the ability to light up the inside of the barge. I feel like because of the lack of 
areas for light to come into the inside. A lot of the details are missed out. Uh, one of the things that I added to it, it was a little LED strand that's run by a battery um, so that my kids could uh, better see the inside of the sail barge. Um, it is difficult. I, I also think that the sails on the top could have been constructed in a better way to have them more easily removed. Uh, I'm already seeing some stress wear on some of the supports for the the um, the actual fabric area uh, because my kids, when they play with it, they want to be able to see the top of the sail barge. And with that fabric and with those sails up there, uh, they have to be removed in order for kids really to play with them, uh, at least on the floor level. Question number eight. If you didn't back it initially, but bought one after the campaign, what made you buy one? Chad, after seeing a lot of the reviews online from different YouTubers that I follow, um, like I knew that it was going to be really neat once you got it in hand, but um, what made me really want to buy one is actually seeing uh, everybody's videos at you know, just how impressive it was in person, you know, like I knew it would be big, but I, I, I guess I didn't know if it would be that big. Eight. If you didn't back it initially, but bought one after the campaign, what made you buy one? Uh, funny thing enough, at first I was not going to buy this. I, the price point I thought was okay. Uh, but I was really interested to see what other add-ons they would do as, as, um, to give a better perceived value for anybody that was interested. And to be completely honest, uh, the price point that I wanted to be at for my kids to have a toy like this to play with was around 300 to $350. As soon as they added that yak face, I, I knew that was something that we were not going to keep and that uh, collectors of modern items, which I am not personally um, outside of prototypes, I, I figured that they would be getting a pretty decent price on the uh, secondary market. So really the, the reason that I decided to back the barge uh, kind of in the final hours was the acknowledgement that I was going to resell the yak face and offset a significant chunk of the price um, so that I could justify uh, giving my kids a toy um, so large and expensive that they could play with without worrying about um, whether they were going to break it or miss pieces or anything. Um, so really, the yak face is what is what closed the deal for me. Our friend David Statey purchased one after the campaign as well. Here is his story behind his purchase. I got a uh, sail barge uh, secondhand. I only started collecting at the very early part of the pandemic. And while I really only collect uh, vintage stuff from my childhood, the sail barge is... I think the only modern display piece I have at all anywhere. Um, the size of it, the detail, uh, the functionality of all the little working trap doors and swinging guns, and it's really just one of the most amazing toys I've ever seen. Um, certainly saw nothing like it as a kid in childhood, and even as an adult who's very passionate about uh, kind of the old Star Wars classic stuff. Um, I just love the barge. Um, it's displayed right in front of my desk. I look at it most of the day. Um, every time I walk by, I'm just impressed. And the final question might be just the most important one. 
What does the HasLab cell barge mean to you? David, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest toys ever made. It's thrilling both for myself and for my son. Uh, We have fun populating it with different figures, vintage figures, modern figures, um, all of the ones from the movie, and in fact, comical ones like uh, Jawas or... uh, Bespin security guards, uh, just to have a lot of fun with it. This is Mike DiStefano. What does the vintage collection sal barge mean to me? To me, I think it's a hope and an opportunity that we can, as collectors, have access to toys on the three and three quarter line that we've never had in the last 20, 25 years. We've had opportunities where Hasbro or Kenner gave us compartments to certain things the Death Star comes to mind but on a scale like the sail barge we haven't seen anything like that Uh, and I mentioned the Death Star in conversations with people about being my favorite toy from the Star Wars line because of the playability with it the sail barge has all of those elements and that makes it exciting that we as the fans and collectors uh, not through a, a child's eyes but from the collector's perspective, we have opportunities to relink to our childhood and bring in our vintage and modern figures into a, an epic playset that the Sal Barge is. To me, that's the most exciting part about all of this, is having that linkability back to being a kid and being excited about a toy, like truly excited, not just about a figure that's coming out, but the ability to have a playset or a ship on this kind of scale and the possibility of what's to come and what what may happen with future projects from HasLab. Chad, what the sail barge means to me is probably, you know, what can be done, I guess, at this point in the vintage collection. Uh, I think they could really do some spectacular things um uh, i know something like this you know is probably not going to happen again i mean maybe it will i mean hopefully you know maybe one day we'll get a you know a big scale uh sand crawler or you know maybe like a blockade runner or you know yeah, maybe a Moss Eisley Cantina playset or, you know, something along those lines I think would be really impressive. But the fact that they've done the barge and now they've done the Razor Crest, you know, it could definitely, you know, happen. So, Twilly, uh, you know, I think I kind of touched on this in an earlier response. It's it's something intangible. It's it's weird. There's not a lot of things I have in my collection that I kind of can stare at. Um, you know, I, my my Slave One, my Millennium Falcon that I actually played with as a kid. Those have a special place in my heart, obviously. But for some reason, this sail barge does too. And I think it's because when I was a kid, the sail barge 
featured so prominently in so many of the games I would play with my friends. You know, we'd have our Star Wars toys and we'd use a shoebox or whatever as the sail barge. And even though this is a TVC sail barge, not produced during the original run, you know, the the paint jobs are slightly different. The detail is way higher than you would probably find on an actual vintage sail barge if they had produced one. Despite all of those things, and despite the fact that it's brand new, it's almost like an old toy that I had as a kid. It's weird. Hello, hello, this is Jason again with the Georgia Alliance. And to answer the question about what does the sail barge mean to me, I think it means the best of everything. I think it's the best that Hasbro's ever done. Um, it's going to be tough to match that. I, the Razor Crest is pretty cool, but it's not as cool as the sail barge. Just it won't match the detail and the scale and the support. I mean, they they created figures and skiffs and all that stuff to kind of support the project and and have the stuff on on display. And they kind of helped us out make the display by offering those figures. And again, it's also the best of the community because the community came together to help promote it. It was a grassroots effort, trying to get this into the hands of as many people as, as possible. It was a dream project. A lot of people thought that it would never be made because of its sc- scale and size. And so, you know, with that possibility, I think the imagination can just run wild. What's next? What are we going to get with HasLab? I think it's going to be a, a vintage collection thing. It's probably going to be a playset. You know, maybe we will finally get that cantina or maybe the, the Death Star. I remember Stephen Sansui talking a while ago about some sort of modular Death Star that Hasbro first came to Lucasfilm with in the 90s. And so we've never seen photos of it. It would be great to see something like that. Um, but also maybe a cantina with a pop-off roof. I don't know. I mean, you could just hear it. Like the, the, the possibilities are limitless. And I think that's what the HasLab project the the cell barge means to me is that it's just limitless possibilities and i think that's also a message in in star wars it's just the imagination can't be limited um you can dream up anything so that's i think what the cell barge means to me i think it's a really interesting take on fulfilling what consumers want i think that there's very little risk on the part of Hasbro to put something out this out, out like this into the marketplace uh, if it's done correctly. Um, we saw recently that the Rancor did not get approved, but honestly, that was a figure that I was going to purchase if the price point after the add-ons that I could potentially resell would get to a certain point. I would have loved my have my kids the opportunity to play with that. Um, but I think it's it's a really interesting take on marketing, and when you're strapped down by ridiculous licensing fees, uh, which is commonplace with unfortunately with the Star Wars brand, you have to do something to reinvent the way that you create toys that the marketplace will embrace and still maintain profitability as a, as a publicly held company, which Hasbro is. So I, I love the HasLab premise. Um, what I think that they need to do is they need to find ways to um, increase the perceived value on a lot of the items that they're doing by adding those other uh, those different different tier spiffs that they do once more backers are added. We recently saw with the proton pack that was another item um, that I that I backed through Haslab. Uh, 
the the better uh, the more people that backed it the the better the tier items continued to get um and i felt like once it got midway to the point of of backing all the goals um it made sense to to buy two of them so you know as as hasbro continues to to grow this concept and there's other uh items that are approved through through haslab um it's pretty exciting to know that the sail barge was the first thing that you know drove the success of this concept and hopefully it continues A few nights ago, Jason told me how he met former Hasbro designer Mark Boudreau and had the opportunity to thank him for his work on the sail barge. I asked him if he would share it with you. Here's Jason on that special moment. Hey, this is Jason. There's one other story I wanted to share in relation to the HasLab sail barge. It goes back to Celebration Chicago. Um, I was walking the hallways and I spotted Mark Boudreau. The Hasbro panel had just finished and a lot of the crew was walking back to the booth itself to be available to answer questions. And uh, I stopped Mark and I said, hey, are you Mark Boudreau? He said, yes, I am. And I said, I just wanted to thank you for all the hard work that you did on the sail barge. It's just an incredible piece. It's very detailed. You guys did you, you did a, a wonderful job. And he said, well, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. And I said, well, absolutely. Um, let the team know that once fans stopped you and, and said, congratulations, it's just a wonderful piece. And then I asked him if I could take a photo with him, and he said, sure. So um, I handed my wife my phone so she could take a photo, and my wife was looking at Mark's wife, who was with him at the time, and her face was just so bright because here he was being treated as though he was a rock star and someone was asking to take a photo with a rock star, and he was, especially at a Celebration. Um, you know somebody who who's had an effect on our childhood like that who's who's worked on almost every single millennium falcon ever produced dating back to the kenner days is you know in my opinion a rock star so you know he was incredibly humble he was incredibly kind um and i i it was one of the highlights of that 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 uh, celebration for me was meeting mark boudreau and getting a photo with him so i just wanted to share that with him and he's just incredibly humble and and again, I, I thank the whole team at Hasbro for, for making the HasLab a uh, sail barge. So that is a look at the Vintage Collection Sail Barge and the HasLab campaign that produced it, from the perspective of our fellow friends and collectors. I'd like to thank Mike DiStefano, Thomas Dickinson, Sean Lemkel, Chad Plouffe, David Stady, Jason Wilsuko, and Keith from Star Wars Fan Caves for kindly taking time out of their daily schedules to be a part of this special episode. It was wonderful to hear your thoughts about the first HasLab project, and your stories were interesting, touching, and funny. And I have a deeper appreciation for the sail barge now, because I see how meaningful it was to each of you. And thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars, Prototypes and Production. 
The History of HasLab has been a fun series to explore so far, and I'm excited to share more of the story in future episodes. I started looking into the HasLab projects because I felt they were momentous mile markers in the development and production of Star Wars toys. The HasLab story is a unique one, and I wanted to capture it while it was still new and fresh, so we wouldn't forget all of the twists and turns and amazing details of the various projects. Season 4 of the podcast is off to a great start so far. Many of you have reached out over the past year, and I'm extremely grateful for every note or word of encouragement you shared with me. It's been fun to watch the podcast slowly make its way to various states across the United States, and then to many, many different countries. The show is resonating with our fellow collectors across six continents, as more and more people are listening to each episode. And I truly hope each one brings you a little joy during your week. That it serves as a reminder that life is a wonderful blessing, and there are people who feel just as strongly about Star Wars and collecting as you do, wherever you are right now. As a tribute to the great storyteller Paul Harvey, I'd like to share a segment I've titled, The Rest of the Star Wars Story. S-W-P-A-P And now, here is the rest of the Star Wars story. Being invited into the world of Star Wars is a very big deal, and the pressure to create something new within it can sometimes shatter someone's confidence. And if you're a composer, how do you move beyond the looming shadow of John Williams' iconic score? How do you ignore the opening trumpets announcing the Space Odyssey? How do you step out of the Imperial March's commanding presence to create your own unique sound? How do you demonstrate the power of the mysterious force without replicating that stirring force theme? Our composer knows all of it by heart, and yet knows that none of it will work for what he has been tasked to do. The answer for this eager composer was to look beyond the stars, beyond the music of John Williams, and to instead hunt for the music that inspired Williams to score the original trilogy. He sought out The Planets, a work by Gustav Holst that heavily influenced Williams' Star Wars structures, pulling lines of DNA that would serve as the path into a new sound. But our composer, again, tasked with the impossible, also immersed himself in the music of Aldo Lado's 1979 film, The Humanoid. The film was heavily influenced by Star Wars, so much so that Lado wrote under the pseudonym George B. Lewis, which sounds pretty close to Star Wars creator George Lucas. But the sound for The Humanoid was scored by another legendary composer, one our current composer greatly admired. Ennio Morricone used European and Japanese influences to create a synthesizer-laden score for the humanoid. And the synthesizer seemed like an unexplored way into the Star Wars universe. The biggest key for our composer to create a new sound was to tap into his childhood. He wanted desperately to connect with the feeling he had watching Star Wars for the first time. And that meant stepping away from digital realms of computer-based music and tapping into real instruments like guitars, drums, and the piano. 
And don't forget those 70s synthesizers Morricone used for the humanoid. But our composer pushed past all the instruments in his studio and focused on the first instrument he had learned as a child, the recorder. The recorder, a simplified flute, was something anyone could learn to play. Although he was a master of many instruments, the recorder confounded him. He spent ten hours searching for the right melody, something foreign and alien, yet tinged with the western roots of Morricone's classic pieces. Something with enough character that would help shape a character. He experimented with five different recorders, and no matter what he played during those ten hours, he returned again and again to a simple reed-like flutter, a call that sounded like it would snake through a gritty wilderness with purpose. He wanted to have his introductory score to be instantly recognizable in one or two notes, like Williams and Morricone had done before him. And with this melody, on a lone recorder, he finally had something special. There was a sense of mystery, of intimacy, and of emotional connection within the music. Our composer layered sounds around it, first using the piano, and then the guitar, and then topping it off with stomping drums and those 1970s gurgling synths. The composer, breathing a sigh of creative relief, turned in his composition and the rest of the score he had created. He had managed to do the impossible. He had successfully connected with his love for the space fantasy trilogy that had inspired him as a child. He had become part of the Star Wars universe whose sounds had pushed him to compose. And he had created music instantly recognizable to people all around the world. For how many of you are affected by those opening notes of composer Ludwig Göransson's recorder, that wayward simple flute, when the theme to the hit series The Mandalorian begins another exciting episode? And now you know the rest of the Star Wars story. I had hoped that that would have been a fitting tribute to a masterful storyteller. And it was also a little tease as to what's to come on the next History of HasLab episode. And stay tuned for more on Star Wars Prototypes and Production.